I'm Afshin Ritansi and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. This week, the UN revealed up to 50% more journalists and media workers were killed in 2022 compared to previous years. That's a dead journalist every four days. With accusations of misreporting, fake news and war propaganda by the modern-day so-called mainstream media, is it any wonder that last year was the deadliest? No one in the Anglophone world has had such a profound effect on our understanding of the NATO nation propaganda model of journalism than one of the most cited living scholars in the world, Noam Chomsky. In the past 24 hours, he has called for UK and US authorities to release WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, tortured according to the UN by the British in London. The father of modern linguistics and co-author of Manufacturing Consent joins me now from Tucson, Arizona. Thank you so much, Professor Chomsky, for uh, coming back on uh, Going Underground after a, a, quite, a, quite a long time. They won't even allow Julian Assange, who's been on this show, people can watch our interviews with him on Rumble, to uh, the funeral of his friend Vivian Westwood, the uh, uh, famous fashion designer. Why, given reports of his deteriorating health, are, are they so intent, the British and the Americans, on keeping him incarcerated? Well, Julian Assange committed a grave crime. Uh, he exposed crimes of state, uh, which state power wants to be suppressed. Uh, that cannot be tolerated. It's uh, an attack on the power and dignity of the state authorities. So he's been treated very brutally. For years, he was essentially locked into a what's called an embassy, but it's actually a small apartment. Uh, not allowed to go out, surrounded by police. Uh, then he was put in a prison that's uh, designated for serious offenders, terrorists, uh, treat, again, extremely harsh treatment. The UN Rapporteur on Terror, plausibly in my view, describes it as uh, torture, Rapporteur on Torture, then uh, that's an act accurate designation. Uh, he's being charged in the United States under the Espionage Act. It's an act that goes back to 1917, part of the harshest repression in uh, American history. The Wilson administration, uh, bitter attacks on anyone who questioned the nobility of uh, participation in the First World War, uh, major attacks on labor, on dissidents, on intellectual opinion. It uh, is part of it. the repression has had an enormous impact on American society lasting until the pr present legacy is real. It's been used uh, for essentially that purpose for over and over. The most extreme was actually Barack Obama. Uh, the uh, current case is Assange is being charged under the Espionage Act. The act should not be on the books in any democratic society. Uh, but uh, the main crime is his exposure of materials that the state wants suppressed. You've been attacked uh, most of your life by uh, so-called mainstream media, but do you think it's getting 
worse now. You might have to remind some people about what you and Ed Herman said in Manufacturing Consent to differentiate propaganda from, say, Stalinist Soviet times. Because, uh, actually, there's a viral video of a BBC reporter, Andrew Marr, I think his name is, and uh, he says to you, what are you talking about? No one tells me what to say. And, uh, you, well, you might remember what you say to him back. Do you have to change the propaganda model with Julian Assange in jail, with the banning of art, literature, music, sports, press in the, in the NATO nation uh, landscape, whereas before it was done in a slightly more, well, as you describe it, a more structured and more complex way? I think, actually, in many ways, it's better now than it was before. Uh, one reason is that many journalists have simply lived through the liberating effect of the activism of the 1960s, which shattered many barriers, and its aftermath, which continues. This is part of their formation, tends to make them more free and open. You look back uh, to the, say, 1960s, uh, the idea of questioning authority barely arose. Uh, take the Vietnam War, the worst crime since the Second World War, uh, took years to try to organize any opposition to it. I happen to live in Boston, which is the most liberal city in the country. Uh, we couldn't have public demonstrations against the war because they would be violently broken up. Uh, tried to have meetings in churches, churches were attacked. It was years before you could finally get some kind of protest against this horrendous atrocity, which by the time protest really developed, it almost destroyed three countries. Uh, but uh, uh, that, there's been a change. Surely the war currently raging in Europe, uh, the, uh, you know, you look at Bernie Sanders' advisor, Matt Duss, diplomatic settlement would mean Ukraine surrender. Every single person in the Biden, in the DNC, the Democrats, voted to supply weapons to Ukraine. The Senate approved a resolution to support Finland and Sweden in NATO. Uh, only Rand Paul and John... Harley, two GOP senators voted against. Uh, you have uh, the entire, I mean, all six of the so-called squad, the Democrats, all intent, and there are no demonstrations to stop uh, the profits of Raytheon, General Dynamics, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, and, and Northrop Grumman, are there? The difference between, first of all, we could discuss these policies and their justification, but What's different today from the 19, say, 50 years ago is that there is debate and discussion. It's uh, overwhelmingly uh, on the side of state power and official doctrine, but it exists. You go back to the 1960s, it barely even existed. There was no, in the case of the Vietnam War, for example, there was essentially no opposition to it for a long time, finally broke out. And uh, we should be, we should recognize that the civilizing effect of the 
activism, mostly young people in those years and since, has had an impact. There is now a range of debate and discussion. Uh, people like me, of course, can't get into the mainstream media, but we never could. That was impossible. And now at least there's alternative ways for voices of... Well, actually... Well, actually, you, your name has been mentioned in mainstream media and it's been defamed and I don't know whether you want to take legal action. You're a trenchant critic of Vladimir Putin. And yet, if I look on the internet, uh, big publications calling you a Putin apologist when you've spent uh, every week since uh, February the 24th and the uh, move to, as the Russians see it, protect the people of Donbass, You've spent criticizing Vladimir Putin. Why do they call you a Putin apologist? Because I, if you deviate from official doctrine, you're condemned as an apologist for the enemy of the state. You talked in the 1960s about uh, trying to bring the horrendous war in Vietnam to an end. You're called an apologist for Ho Chi Minh. Okay, that's just standard technique of vilification. You don't want to answer arguments. You throw mud at people. That's normal and expected. Uh, but uh, today, if you look at uh, mainstream establishment journals, foreign affairs, the major journal, you actually find a range of critical commentary, actually not all that different from things I say. Uh, well, go back years, you didn't have that. Just marching in a parade, virtually no dissent. But of course, in, say, Britain, they've banned CGTN, the Chinese channel, from broadcasting, RT, uh, famously. Why is it that, uh, do you think, Russia thinks it's fine. I think Sergei Lavrov this week giving a press conference, allowing Western reporters uh, accreditation, whereas in the United States, uh, they obviously don't ban media in the US because of the First Amendment. Certainly in Europe, obviously, there's mass banning of uh, journalists and journalism. What, what's behind uh, that? And that surely does depart somewhat from manufacturing consent, where they didn't want to ban anything. They just knew that uh, lower-selling outlets would fail to engage the populace in, in dissident opinion. Well, I think, first of all, that's quite normal. Uh, you look through the, say, the, take a more recent event, the Iraq War, not that far back. Uh, anyone who dares to say that the Iraq War was the major crime of this century, which it certainly was, is bitterly denounced and condemned. If you look at discussion in the mainstream, you'll be hard put to find anyone who, who can reach the mainstream who will say the elementary truth, indis indisputable truth, that the Iraq War was uh, an example of what the Nuremberg Tribunal called the supreme international crime, crime of aggression, which differs from other war crimes only in that 
it includes all of the evil that follows. So find somebody who says, President Bush, Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, were guilty of the crimes for which people were hanged at Nuremberg. Instead, what you have is celebration of George Bush, the great criminal who invaded Iraq and Afghanistan and destroyed them, celebration of him as a lovely person, as uh, called a goofy grandpa who plays with his grandchildren, paints pictures, just a delightful person. Well, that's the Iraq war. It's quite striking that anyone who dares to compare the Iraq war with the Russian invasion of Ukraine is viciously denounced. Uh, Harvard University even had a, uh, a debate in which the debate was whether the Iraq war can be considered a humanitarian intervention, a debate. Suppose that Moscow University had a debate on whether the Russian invasion can be called a humanitarian intervention. Can you imagine the reaction in the West? What's the reaction in the West to what happened at Harvard? Applause. Look at the openness of American society. They're even willing to question whether this military intervention was a humanitarian intervention. Uh, well, that's manufacture of consent. Let me give you an explicit example. Uh, recently, there were a couple of articles in the mainstream press saying there's now some skepticism arising about whether Russia was really responsible for the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipelines. Professor Chomsky, I'll stop you there. More from one of the world's greatest and most cited public intellectuals after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with Professor Noam Chomsky, American dissident and co-author of the pioneering book, Manufacturing Consent, The Political Economy of the Mass Media. Maybe they call you a Putin apologist because you express doubt about a terror attack that was one of the worst, as if climate-destroying uh, terror attacks, given the amount of uh, fossil fuels released, let alone what the sabotage means for energy resources for Germany. Uh, you think that the mainstream media that said this must be the Russians could have got it wrong? I mean, the least likely uh, 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 the per state responsible for the sabotage is Russia. It's the pipeline that was sabotaged and destroyed is largely owned by Gazprom, Russian company. What possible purpose would Russia have had in destroying its and sabotaging its own major capital investment, which it counts on for supplying Europe? If Russia wanted to supply to stop the supply of grass, gas, all it could do is turn off a valve. Didn't have to destroy its main its main uh, investments. So the least likely uh, state uh, that can be uh, charged is Russia. So, of course, the Western media immediately rushed on race to say, well, Russia's responsible. Now they're raising some skepticism 
That's called manufacture of consent. Set the framework and debate within it, but it's the framework that is insane. Who's the likely culprit in the Nord Stream sabotage? Who had the motive and the capability? Well, just one state. The United States obviously had the motive, in fact, was quite frank and open about saying that those not only opposing the pipelines, but saying that they'll be destroyed. The motive was not secret, was perfectly public, obviously had the capability. In fact, they had just had large naval maneuvers in the region uh, right before the sabotage with major ships and equipment. So they had the capability and the motive, clearly. Nobody else had anything like that. The Russians are the least likely culprit. So manufacturing consent says, let's have a lively debate to show how open and free we are, but within the framework that excludes by assumption, by the possibility that the United States might have been involved, we'll only discuss debate whether the least likely culprit is involved. Well, that's effective propaganda. You don't just lie, that's refutable. What you do is set up a framework of discussion which excludes, totally excludes, the obvious and most likely answer, then debate other things. So in the case of Iraq, you have a debate at Harvard over whether uh, the Iraq invasion was a a humanitarian invasion. You don't have a debate over whether it was the a crime, the kind of crime for which Nazi war criminals were hanged at Nuremberg. You don't want to open that question for discussion. So you discuss something ridiculous. Was it a humanitarian intervention when you carry out a shock and awe attack against Iraq, uh, smash up the country, kill hundreds of thousands of people, have all kinds of torture and other atrocities. In fact, just to add, one of the worst crimes in the Iraq war was the Battle of Fallujah, especially the Second Battle of Fallujah. Devastating, destructive, murderous attack by the Marines it began with taking over the general hospital. It's a war crime in itself, then destroying much of the city, killing Nobody knows how many people because we don't investigate our own crimes. How is that remembered in the United States? Well, I'll tell you, the US Navy is now commissioning a new vessel in honor of the Marines who fought in Fallujah. It's called the Fallujah. That's the way we deal with one of the worst crimes. Doesn't get reported, of course. I should say the Biden administration officially denies involvement in the terror attack on the Nord Stream, as does the British administration, uh, after allegations the Royal Navy uh, was involved uh, in it. Uh, I mentioned that you're a critic of uh, Vladimir Putin. Given that Angela Merkel says that the Minsk process was actually a delaying tactic to arm Ukraine, what would you have done differently, knowing that uh, politically within Russia, uh, Vladimir Putin was under pressure, given uh, the thousands of people of the Donbass being killed with NATO weapons in, in eastern Ukraine. Uh, given that the Minsk process was 
went on for a number of years. It was uh, adopted by the Security Council. What are you supposed to do after being told repeatedly that uh, the Americans weren't going to go into Ukraine? Ukraine wasn't going to join NATO, and actually it was, and obviously we have the uh, uh, details of the coup. You would, you would want further negotiations you would have called for, intermediaries with the French? That's not quite the story. Angela Merkel now says that it was a delaying effort. There isn't a particle of evidence in the record to support that claim. Uh, nothing. At the time, Germany and France took it very seriously, were pressing for it. Uh, Emmanuel Macron, actually up until a couple of days before the invasion, had a long interchange with Putin. You can read the transcripts published in the French press, uh, offering various ways to reinstitute something like the Minsk agreement and prevent the invasion. Uh, Putin rejected it. At the end, the last conversation, four days before the invasion, he simply rejected the discussions with contempt said, I'm sorry, I have to go ice skating or something like that. Well, there were opportunities. There was plenty of provocation. You're quite right. Lots of provocation. But provocation doesn't justify aggression. Aggression is a major crime. If, you're, if you provoke me to attack you and then I attack you, I'm guilty, even if I was provoked. And for the people that defend uh, Putin's decision, as a mark of a new world order to uh, avenge Iraq, just one of the wars in recent years that uh, your government has been involved in. Uh, as uh, the global south come together, new currencies being talked about, new ways of talking about energy, perhaps even helping the climate better than any uh, COP summit under the aegis of the United States. You don't buy that. Uh, you can't believe in a global south uh, with uh, China, India, uh, Lula, your friend, uh, and, uh, and, and Brazil and Russia all together, and the de death of Europe, in effect? Well, I think there are major shifts in world order, and the invasion of Ukraine and the reaction to it have accelerated these. Uh, one effect of the invasion of Ukraine was to give the United States an extraordinary gift. Putin gave the United States a uh, gift that it greatly relishes. It drove Europe into the pocket of the United States. There's been a, a debate all through the Cold War back to the 1940s as to whether Europe should move in an independent direction be what was sometimes called a third force in international affairs, was pressed most vigorously by Charles de Gaulle, Willy Brandt's Ostpolitik, gestures by Olaf Palm and others. The United States instead demanded what's called the Atlanticist version based on NATO, which the United States runs, of course, in which Europe would be subordinate to the United States. Uh, this became a major issue 
with the collapse of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev proposed a common European home from Lisbon to Vladivostok, no military alliances, no victors, no defeated, common efforts to move forward towards a more or less social democratic uh, Eurasia. The United States was strongly opposed, insisted on the Atlanticist vision. Vladimir Putin has in fact offered the United States its highest wish, provided Europe at least temporarily is uh, uh, within, has abandoned search for independence and is joining, uh, subordinating itself to the United States. To which, same to which some would say there were already bases at Ramstein in Britain, an aircraft carrier for the United States for so, so long. We're running a little bit short of time, Professor Chomsky. I want to get to something really disturbing in what you've been writing recently, I thought. You said, and coming from the pioneer of generative grammar, <laughs> I'm saying that slightly loosely connected, you said that humanity can have a dedication to self-destruction. Um, what, I mean, given that Meghan Markle, of all people, uh, now claims uh, she, she reads your work, and I know you send a message to her through uh, the airways, as it were, saying um, that uh, you were pleased that uh, Prince Harry's wife read your work. What do you mean by a pathological, perhaps, dedication to self-destruction, given we are talking, obviously, about um, uh, things that involve Armageddon, and I know the Bulletin of uh, Atomic Scientists will be resetting the, the clock uh, next Tuesday about how, how long we have to live. Well, the Bulletin set the doomsday clock in 1947, shortly after the atom bombing. The hands are set certain distance from midnight. Midnight means termination of the human species. Uh, the first setting was seven minutes to midnight. It's oscillated over the years. Uh, during the Trump administration, they abandoned minutes, moved to seconds. It's now set at 100 seconds to midnight. January 24th, it'll be set again. I presume the second act will be set closer to midnight certainly should be. Uh, the main concerns are the increasing threat of nuclear war, the uh, very severe and growing threat of uh, destruction of the climate, which is rapidly increasing. States are not doing what they know they must do to solve this crisis. The third is the deterioration of an arena of rational, serious debate and deliberation with uh, the collapse of democratic forces around the world. It sounds at first as if that doesn't belong with the first two, but it does, because that's the only hope for dealing with the first two. All three have gotten considerably worse during the past year, and unless there's a sharp reversal, we'll simply be heading for a precipice, falling over it, irreversible, and not in the long distant future. Professor Noam Chomsky, thank you.
And that's it for the show. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode. But until then, you can still keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country. But you can always head to our channel, Going Underground TV, on rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you very soon.